sometimes an artist can't really, you know, they're getting their piece out and they're not really always thinking about how it connects to other works that their contemporaries are, you know, creating. But as a curator, you get to pull these things together, weave new narratives and show people new ways of looking at the work. And I learned all of that through just curating that first show. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. If you're smart, you embrace all your experiences. Moving through life, you'll find yourself in places, doing things you wouldn't expect for people you never thought you'd meet. The experience and the expertise you pick up along the way are preparing you for new challenges and opportunities. I guess today, Fair Manuel can definitely speak to that. Farron is the new director of the Bio Foundation, the nonprofit arm of Black Art in America. I caught up with Farron to talk about his path from working at the Clark Atlanta Gallery to the High Museum and now at Bayer. We talk about his plans for the foundation, some new partnerships, upcoming programs. We touch on Jerry Saltz curating Richard Mayhew and a little bit more of that good art talk that you like right here on The Noise. Yes, it's Studio Noise, the voice of black art, giving you the insight into the artists, collectors, curators, and directors that make this contemporary art world go around. Black excellence in art, basically. <laughs> That's basically what we do. Follow us at Studio Noise Podcast on IG for pics of what we discuss right here on the show. Comment and join the conversation. I love to hear from you. You know, I do. I sure do appreciate every single one of y'all for listening. As always, presented by Black Art in America. Right now at the Buy Gallery, Better Days, Joy and Revolution, curated by your boy Jay Barber and Farron Manuel. Prints and print processes on full display. Carrie James Marshall, Delia Martin, Robert Holder, Robert Pruitt, Chloe Alexander, Rashawn Rucker, wonderful black printmakers showcasing their talents. And that show is leading directly into the Fine Art Print Fair on August 11th and 12th. We talk about it right here on the episode. Make sure you're there to get a look at some amazing fine art prints. Feature artist Jennifer Matt Watkins will be there. I'll be there. And guess what? You'll be there too because you got to make it. <laughs> Go ahead and get your tickets. Come on down to Atlanta, Dubai Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive, East Point, Georgia. We want to see you in the building. You definitely don't want to miss it. It's going to be some great stuff going on. See more at blackartamerica.com. Now, after the break, we got my man Farron Manuel right here coming back to the noise, baby. Yes. This is Kenetra Fletcher, Associate Curator of African American and Afro Diasporic Art at the National Gallery of Art, and you are listening to Studio North. Yes, it's your boy Dave Barber back with you, Studio North Podcast, the voice of Black Art, again live at the Bayer Gallery, 1802 Connolly Drive. You gotta come check it out. We got the art fair coming up. You know what I'm saying? Check the check the commercials. Y'all already know about the art fair. You should be making plans to be here. Uh, but I'm here right now in the middle of the gallery. Got my man, Farron Manuel, back on the show. What's up, baby? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, here in a new capacity at Baya, I've been working with Najee on and off a number of years on different projects. So, so yeah, happy to be here. Happy to be here. That's what I'm talking about. Farron Manuel now, director of the Baya Foundation. Guy also does curating exhibitions and programming right here at the gallery uh, at Fair Manual on Instagram and at Baya underscore foundation. What is it? Yes. At Baya underscore foundation. You that, can follow the foundation on Instagram. Keep up with what we're doing. That's right. Now, this is interesting. Uh, the path that both of us has taken to get back here at Baya again, yo. I remember when we was riding up to, to New York for the show. We stopped at D.C. So I got to pick up a man, Farron. Boom, there he is. <laughs> that's what, that was years ago. How long ago was that? Man, that was like, what, eight years almost? Yeah, that was a long yeah. time. And now we both here, like working here at the gallery, man. How do you feel to come back, man? Um, I'm, I'm back home. 
you know, doing doing what we do best, um, you know, introducing people to art, um, giving people access to works by great artists. And, you know, on the foundation side was was really great is we got to formalize a lot of the the good work uh, Black Art in America has already been doing in educating people and and putting forth, uh, you know, interesting programming. That's what's up. And we're going to keep that going. That's what your job is. <laughs> to keep it going. Right. Right. Now, you were formerly at the High Museum. Uh, what, what, tell people what you used to do there. So with, at the High Museum of Art, I was there for close to seven years. Uh, I coordinated the Mellon Curatorial Foundation grants. So uh, there were two grants from the Mellon Foundation, one in partnership with Emory University focused on developing publications. And the other uh, was an undergraduate grant focused on, you know, just giving uh, students from diverse backgrounds an introduction to curatorial work in a two-year grant program where they, you know, where they got to learn to be curators. And they really, uh, you know, contributed to shows at the museums, wrote essays for catalogs, and did a number of different things. Nah, that's a cool program, man. Like, yeah. so in seeing that, like, how many great people did you see, like, come through and go on to do, like, good stuff in the museum world? Oh, man. Um all of the students, you know, have made me proud. You know, we have uh, Kayla Jackson, who's now studying uh, history of art at Harvard University. Oh, nice. She's hosted yeah. a conference um, related to black portraitures and images of uh, of black figures in European art, historical European art. Um, we have uh, Nyla Barnes, who's doing the Fulbright Scholarship now in Senegal. Wow. And uh, also another student, uh, Karuna Sharikarija, she's the uh, director of interpretation for Buddhist art at the uh, Denver Art Museum. Wow. So, yeah, some some really great uh, success stories and just students that came in, you know, freshman or sophomore year and got all this great museum experience. And now they're on to doing, you know, really great things after, you know, going through the programming and curriculum. That's awesome, man. That's awesome, man. You've been working hard. That's what's up, man. Before we get really into like the big business, you know who Jerry Saltz is. Yes. All right. So I was listening to Jerry Saltz. Everybody don't know Jerry, Jerry Saltz is like this art critic. Uh, big time. He wrote his book, How to Be an Artist. Uh, y'all can check him out. He gives all kind of like a uh, <laughs> it's gonna sound strange, but I, I I refer to him as like a hotel for artists. You know, like like hotel uh, find a girl and be like grand rising queen. Uh, good morning. He has he right. does that stuff for artists. I feel like he like right. puts out a lot of like artists. Just inspiration. Uh, you would be super important, like <laughs> so like that. But anyway, uh, but I was listening to him talk in this interview that he did, and he was talking about um how people are collecting the same twenty two people. Like mm. all the time, like in most of the art world rules only apply to like the top 1% of 1% of artists. And so as every year, it seems like there's always five artists that the that consultants add to the little mix of who people should collect. And they kind of forget about all the other artists. Uh, in your experience, are you smart, man, curator? You know what I'm saying? I looked at you for a lot of like scholarly kind of advice and stuff like that. Like, what do you think about that? Do you do you think that's true? I mean, if the numbers say it's true, then there's something there, you know, obviously. But I, I would say people like a safe bet, mm -hmm. especially if they're, you know, collecting with a financial motive in mind. And, you know, with people just purely collecting what they like, I think there's a lot of benefit in encouraging that and getting people to, you know, go for what they're like. I like how... Um, Jerry Saltz on his Instagram, he'll do these posts called um, art that I'm that I'm not supposed to like because <laughs> because of, you know, his. Yeah. You know, his understanding and his place in the art world. But, you know, he's he's honest and sincere about showcasing what he likes, even if it's not going to be well received or it's not going to get the same. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Reception. Yeah. And that was I think that gets to his point, too, was like. The people that go for these consultants, they like mm -hmm. the artists because they told they're supposed to like the artists. Like, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like he he's saying, I'm not saying he's saying that work is mediocre. <laughs> he's saying that all these people that we pick, they just picked and became these stars. But if you really look at their work, it's not gonna stand the test of time and stuff like that. I thought it was an interesting, like little thing. Cause I, I find like a similar thing happens with black artists, where mm -hmm. if you 
just take Atlanta, for instance. If you name black artists from Atlanta, you're going to name the same five people, like, all the time. Anytime you see, a, like, an article or something come out, it's going to be the same old names that you always see associated with Atlanta. But Atlanta has a lot more talent than that. And, right. it's a, and you rarely get to see, like, those names be at the top of the list. And if you do see them, then you feel like something happened. Like, some, like they either got into UTA or... Like some like that, like they've been like embraced by the bigger system before they get there. I think people don't like to be quizzed, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so like if they can go, you know, based on the answer key, it makes it <laughs> right. it makes it easier. Yeah. Then um, they're having to um introduce somebody to a new artist, and you have to explain why the work is important. That's, right. That's where the scholarship yeah. part comes in. I think. You know, reading more is going to help people and going out to see more art and just kind of broadening their their eye, you know, and mm -hmm. working on their eye, working on their library and, you know, just becoming an informed collector, informed art appreciator and even an informed artist. You know, these are things that help everyone in the art ecosystem to to get better and to be more inclusive as far as their vision is concerned yeah. and also to understand and know what they're looking at when they see it so they don't miss out on something that yeah. people are going to see later i agree and i also think there's not enough real art criticism that's happening like mm -hmm. it's being actually being critical and then and being critical you introduce new ideas and new artists into the conversation to like make an argument to uphold it to like really like dissect this is good good quote unquote this is what's happening with this artist and this was happening with this other artist mm -hmm. uh, but the conversation rarely extends past the familiar faces that you always see in the thing but and also just in terms of conversation a lot of the conversation that we see in art is pr like it's not really people honestly genuinely having a conversation about right the atlanta art scene mm -hmm. but uta is at the top you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, oh, that's not, true. No, no shots at UTA. Like, if you can afford, like, a great PR team, you should do it. Like, use your connections and, and make make your ways that way. But I just, I don't know. It's, it's <laughs> We talk about this kind of stuff all the time. So that's why it's comfortable to talk to you with about stuff like this. I would say, too, you know, ultimately, we're all promoting artists that we like, mm -hmm. right? And... When you really think about critics, these are people with the resources and the free time, which isn't like <laughs> which isn't like a common right. thing. Yeah. So when I, you know, when I do see criticism, I'm appreciative. So, you know, people like Jerry Saltz. Even um I like, you know, some of TK Smith's criticism. Yeah, TK, yep. Shout and out to TK, been on the podcast. So, you know, he he keeps that like that classic line of, you know, going to shows doing the criticism, doing the critical thinking about the work. And, you know, from my perspective, it's always constructive. So that's him coming at it, you know, as an educator, yeah. you know, curators are educators too, but coming at it as an educator and, you know, really having a conversation with the artist. And, you know, I think it's perfectly okay for a person to, you know, respond to the criticism. And Absolutely. that's what makes yeah. art better too. And, you know, in some of the pieces I've seen in like culture type, I like uh, Vincent Cunningham's writing from the New Yorker. Yeah. So, so yeah, I'm I'm really into like art criticism. Oh yeah, I love that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah, you know, art it. papers, art net, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we love that kind of stuff. Yeah, see, this is the type of man we need running an art foundation right here. You see it. <laughs> you see this man is well cultured. <laughs> now, uh, what made you decide to come on to the foundation? Like you like leaving the high, like moving into this new group, new new job, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know, actually Najee and I have been having conversations about, you know, just different ways we can collaborate for a long time now. And we have, um, you know, worked together on fairs. Um, I've done a number of different programs, so moderating panels. And so when we talk about the good work that Black Art in America has done over the years, this is really a way to just formalize that work, give it a, you know, a nonprofit distinction, and also get sponsorship for this type of work specifically so that we can do more. So, you know, we have a, a really, you know, great base of supporters on Patreon. So, you know, they follow what we do. They get regular email updates in the newsletter. 
so they can see, um, you know, what we're doing with teaching artists, going out into the community, teaching classes, donating art supplies. We're aspiring to um, to host artists for residencies. And we actually got our first uh, artist in residence coming, uh, Najar Muswar, who will be here uh, next month uh, pulling a print for the foundation. So That's awesome. So, man. yeah, you know, we, we got things rolling. That's awesome. I'm, I'm happy about it. Yeah. And so what direction do you see the foundation going? Like, what is what is what would be the purpose, if you would describe it? I would say to expand what's already the bio machine. I think, you know, we already have a really great formula here as far as, you know, what I call the Black Art in America alumni. So you got like <laughs> great artists who, you know, yeah. use bio as a lunch pad. Uh, you got artists working in the space now. You know, you got Najee Dorsey here, you know, multiple museum shows, you know, noted artists. And, you know, you got the Studio Noise podcast. You got me here. I was at the High Museum of Art. And I, I consider that like our, our pantheon of Black Art in America alumni who are just kind of doing these different things in different spaces. But it's like, how can we offer that to other people that are up and coming in the form of uh, programming for a public audience, residencies, uh, internships, fellowships, and just trying to find the perfect structure to, to bring people into a creative incubator? So recently you announced a partnership with the Future Foundation uh, with, with Baya. Tell me about that. So the the Future Foundation is a foundation uh, started by uh, Atlanta Hawks legend Sharif Abdul Rahim, and uh, we've over the over this summer, uh, Tanya Mitchell, multidisciplinary artist, has uh, has taught art classes at the Future Foundation to a group of middle and high school students. So introducing them to drawing, abstraction, collage, painting. They've made African masks. So really just kind of getting that next generation ready or, you know, the future collector or future artist ready to participate in this space. That's so, awesome. Man. And so when is, what is that program going to look like? So, so far uh, this month, we've done, uh, say, four classes a week. The classes are an hour and a half each. Uh, we're, we're considering what a fall schedule would look like and also opening up classes to uh, students from other programs, other schools, other spaces on uh, Saturdays in the fall. But that's not confirmed yet. So I don't like bring your kids expecting it. We're, <laughs> don't we're drop your kids a, off at Baya. Yeah. So yeah, I've, I've only been here about it's not less than a daycare. month. So, you know, we're, we're still working out the schedule. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's what's up. Then are the kids enjoying it? Yeah, we, we've got some really great um, works of art. You know, out of this whole thing, and we're, we're oh, actually so they gonna here making we're stuff. gonna we're gonna dedicate a, a really small space in the gift shop to showing you know some of the works by the student. So they're in here making stuff. Yeah, so they don't come here. She goes out to you know they have two locations: one at Paulie, one at a middle school, and one at the and one at the Future Foundation's location. So we send the teaching artists out. To, okay, that's what's up. Give the classes there. No, that's a good time, man. That's a good time. What anything else that you like really focus on in terms of the foundation that you want to want to build on? Exploring how we can partner with um, other art, uh, other organizations that don't particularly work in the art space, but where we could benefit from partnering. You know, whether that's bringing in and introducing new people to the gallery or introducing new people to the programming that we do here. And, you know, and also, um, you know, helping them to capitalize what they do. So um, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of different like people I've been working with. But if I, I don't know if it's safe to like mention it right now, <laughs> but, we're, but we're looking at some different yeah. uh, fundraising opportunities and, you know, looking at ways we can use art to support other causes, you know, would be a, would be a, a really good thing. And and also just, you know, working with artists to to expand our footprint, um, put more art education out there. And, you know, there's a lot of good works that artists already do in terms of educating the community, um, putting forth certain little known narratives and, you know, really just expanding in that way. Yeah. And a lot of that uh, artists just need support and you artists just need support. So. Yeah. So even, you know, talking about the uh, the residency, you know, bringing artists in and, you know, giving them like a like a mini creative vacation where they can really just create and be in a space where they're not thinking about things they, you know, typically have to deal with at home. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's always good to get a little free time, especially for artists. You get so busy like nowadays. Hopefully, hopefully y'all are busy out there listening to the podcast. Uh, you know, I find a lot of hard time. <laughs> it is like carve out studio time and then uh, and away from all the other stuff I got to do, just daddy stuff and school stuff and, you know, this and that, you know what I'm saying? All these projects put together. So uh, having a program to come out to a place like here, and I know they have a, a section yeah, so, of a building right over here where people yeah, can come and work. Got and a residency space. Residency space. And, you know, we have a connection with me and the print studio, Atlanta Printmaker Studio. So you can always like come and make a print there, like Najar is gonna do. That's gonna be right. big fun having Najar in. in oh here. yeah, yeah. We got get him on a podcast too. Oh, yeah. Get him in person and get him up in here when he takes his visit, Joe. So yeah, early August. Let's make it happen. Yeah, we doing it, Joe. We doing it. Tell me a little bit more about your experiences, because we have a conversation a lot about art school. Whether you, how much people need school and how much of it is experience. Tell them a little bit about your experience, like working at, at the Clark um, Museum, uh, at Clark Atlanta Museum, and then moving on and do other stuff, the writing, the curating, all, the, all this kind of stuff. So while I was a student at Clark Atlanta University, I worked in the CAU Art Museum under uh, Tina Dunkley. She encouraged me to uh, curate an exhibition after being a docent there for a while, and I really wasn't. Not to say I wasn't interested in doing it, but I wasn't fully interested in doing it. Yeah. And uh, she kind of had to talk me into it. But once I got into the process of finding the works and writing about it, piecing the works together to tell this story, um, that's not always explicit because sometimes an artist can't really, you know, they're getting their piece out and they're not really always thinking about how it connects to other works that their contemporaries are, you know, creating. But as a curator, you get to pull these things together, weave new narratives and show people new ways of looking at the work. And I learned all of that through just curating that first show. And from there, it was just something that I enjoyed doing and something that I had to do. And let me see, I worked there in the museum for maybe, I want to say three years. Mm -hmm. And after college, I went and worked at the I, I went and worked with Najee at Black Art in America full time for a, sh a short stint, maybe about maybe about six months. And then Tina retired from the museum. They got a new director there, Marita Poole. I went and worked with her for six months, just kind of serving as an institutional knowledge, getting her acquainted with the collection that they have there. Great collection at Clark Atlanta, by the way. Yeah, amazing so collection. Got her acquainted with the uh, with the collection there and worked with her as a curatorial assistant for special projects. So we had a couple of fundraisers, events that were coming up. So I got to curate with fundraising in mind. So that kind of gave me a different perspective on the work, uh, thinking about structuring programs and getting sponsorship and support for an institution. And then I went and worked at the High Museum of Art um, on the Mellon Foundation grants, developing curriculum, uh, creating uh itineraries for travel how so, big a, how big of a shift was that uh because because you, you know we think of clark we know a little bit about how clark operates and we know a little bit about how the high operates but you've seen it on both sides like you actually were in there with the numbers that's what i'm that's what i'm trying to figure i would say how big of a shift so at clark i would install the artwork i would paint the walls i would change light bulbs but at a bigger institution like the High Museum, you got specific people that do things like this person, you need to call them to change light bulbs. This person is going to paint the wall. You can curate this show, but this person, you know, these preps, they're going to install the show. So that was a different thing for me to have to um, give out, you know, divvy out tasks to different people as opposed to just doing everything mm -hmm. yourself. So yeah. I, I think that's more of a thing of, you know, like the size of the institution. But working at a smaller institution, you kind of can get more skill sets more quickly. Right. Than, you know, going somewhere larger where you don't have to, like, handle a work of art. Right. Or, um, you know, change the lighting to make the show look its best. You, you, you kind of get a different perspective doing it that way. I think I think people can benefit from doing it both ways. Yeah. I, I can see that how. Uh, all the little things like the overall presentation of work, 
uh, you learn by doing it yourself mm-hmm. rather than like this person, you know, will pick it up and this person will hang it on the wall and this, person, you know what I'm saying? So like the kind of regimented, segmented kind of way of doing things, but it's a system that's worked out over time for institution that size with, you know, kind of stuff they're showing. And what, and what's funny about it though, is, um, in creating a, cur- a curriculum for, so in creating a curriculum for aspiring curators, I got to take some experience from my work at Clark Atlanta and curating shows there. And also, you know, some of my travels with Black Art in America to different fairs, we meet with different collectors and visit artist studios. Uh, you know, we go over to, you know, we make a stop at Atlanta Printmaker Studio, pick up works of art. So from from that experience, I really was able to de- to develop like this Rolodex of people to connect with when we go out of town. So, you know, we had, you know, X amount of money in the budget for travel. Right. We need to have a curriculum. And when I got there, the position had been vacant for a while. So there was a surplus in travel. So that was the curriculum. And I thought, you know, this is the best way to really learn what the contemporary art world is about. You know, it's something you can't you can read about it, but to just be in it and, you know, be fluid with it and just kind of go through it is. um is a is a great way to fast track your your knowledge and your understanding about what's going on. So we go to Chicago and do a behind the scenes art tour of Chicago where we visit the Stony Island Arts Bank. We visit with uh, Patrick McCoy at Diasporisms. We visit the DeSapla Art Museum and, you know, we just give like a a full lay of the land. We go to uh, MCA Chicago and talk to a curator there and, you know, we just give multiple perspectives on the art world and the different people that you can connect with in our ecosystem. Yeah. Is that standard how they do it in no, the high? That's not <laughs> we we actually um on those grants we were actually partnered with six other with five other museums. And you know we had you know each museum had their unique approach to the curriculum, but that was ours. So you know it's you know quiet is kept is like inspired by the the bio machine. <laughs> Not quiet, loud. We say <laughs> you got to say that and make sure they know. Because yeah. it is a thing where institutions can uh, not just get complacent, but also get uh, myopic in how they view stuff. Like, you know, I, I would imagine, like, if I work at the high, if I work at uh, the MoMA or something like that, I would think, like, the art world flows through the high and MoMA and Guggenheim and, like, nothing else of importance is going on other than what we do here. And that's not true because it's so many different levels and layers to why the art, art the, why the art world can exist as a, right. as a total. Because yes, they can be at the very at the well, some would say at the very top of uh, what it is because of the, the amount of material they have and the collections and the names and uh, the scholarship and the books and all this kind of stuff. So they can have their own prominent spot, but that's not to dismiss the spot of the everyday collector. And the everyday right. emerging artists or the working artists or whoever it is, however you want to put it. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting that you had like my man Patrick McCoy up there yeah. uh, because that's a whole nother world. Like, they, you right. know, I bet the high ain't never so just, seen nothing like his house. Know, so just imagine, you know, <laughs> we got the students, high museum curators, and we all at Patrick's house. Yeah. Just, <laughs> we having some tea. Just and, art know, everywhere. You know, and, and, you know, Patrick, you know, super knowledgeable guy just giving his spiel about the creation of Chicago and how it connects to um, his collection. Yeah. And, and the, and even the way that he collects, because right. I think it's very unique and different, like floor to ceiling, even hanging from the ceiling is yeah. the art everywhere in this house. Yeah. And, uh, and it's just a commitment to the arts that come from his passion for it, his love for it. So, yeah, you know, when people say they don't have, you know, any more room for art, Google, <laughs> Google Patrick, Google Patrick, you got yeah. room. Yeah. If you got a ceiling, you got a little edge on your fireplace. You got mm-hmm. <laughs> all kinds Above of stuff. The you, door. Yeah, yeah, you got room, yo. You got room. That's what's up, man. And so these type of experiences. Um, what do you think that you as uh, you didn't get your make your bones through going to school? Like you didn't make your bones officially through any kind of degrees or programs and stuff like that. Like you got it through like real life experience. Like in giving that to the students that came through the program, what do you think that did for them? I think 
I think it gave another perspective um, on how you can educate yourself, how you can be engaged in the in the art world. And it, it's kind of like it wasn't planned this way. It just kind of, you know, life happens and you just kind of maneuver and, yeah. oh, this makes sense for me. Um, I want to work with this artist. I'm going to do this in September. I'm going to write this. It just kind of was my own interdisciplinary art journey, you know, where I got to work with all these amazing artists, work with galleries, work with museums. And, you know, even working at the High Museum, the the details for the position, the description for it was master's degree preferred. And I just applied <laughs> for it anyway. So because I was yeah, encouraged to, yeah. you know, like, hey, you know, just, you know, apply for it and interview and see how how things go. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, your experience can be enough and you can really get into a particular place in Excel because, you know, ultimately, you know, people are looking for someone that's going to complete the assignment effectively you know yeah yeah and if you can get a reputation for being a go-to person like you know being able to do it the capability like this guy's competent i I guess that's the word i look for (laughs) right right? this guy's competent he can do it and a a lot of times too that's the answer it's like hey man you're competent (laughs) like just you know that should encourage people to you know get out and do certain things like if you're competent at it just go for it just go for it I say that all the time. But a degree can help. I've had (laughs) moments too where I've realized, you know, that can help too, but be good at it. Yeah. Thank you for everybody that came out and supported the Black Art Family Reunion. Now we got another one. Make sure you come out to the Bio Gallery, 1802 Conley Drive, and check out the show Better Days, Joy M. Revolution, a one-of-a-kind printmaking and print process show featuring contemporary and masterworks from Richard Mayhew and David Driscoll to contemporary works from Rashawn Rucker, Coy Alexander, and your boy Jay Barber. 1802 Conley Drive, right around the corner from the Tyler Perry Studio and the airport. Come see, come collect. See more at blackartinamerica.com. This is Kyle C. Coleman from Artfields in Lake City, South Carolina. You are listening to Studio Noise. Let's get to the show that we uh, got to here. This one that we co-curated. I curated this section. You curated the other. Uh, Better Days, uh, Joy and Revolution, uh, right here at the Bio Gallery, print and print process show. And so as we talk about curating and like putting it together, uh, putting shows together, that's what curators do and how they think about it. How are you looking at materials and art? Uh, to see how they will put together in like one presentation. Because we got a lot of work, even going back to Clark and all the other stuff that you've done, a lot of experience uh, setting up a show like this. Like what what stands out to you? What makes a piece of work important enough to, to see? So I feel like it's like four questions. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in this show, you know, we're talking about uh, is better days, joy and revolution. So we're talking about different narratives in the black experience, for one, and giving you different artists um, perspective on joy, on revolution, on things that cause joy, things that cause revolution. And also you have the process pieces that get you into the intricacies, the intricacies of printmaking. So it's it's like a multi-layered show where you're getting like this, this highbrow art take. But it's not really highbrow. It's like you get an in-depth take on how the art is made, so the material, and you get, you know, insight into these different artists' uh, experience and their um, their existentialism, which is what I love about um, African American art. You know, some of the greatest existential philosophers are black artists, and you know they're telling their stories and they're they're going into the different narratives. that you know that are coming to most of us to all of us so what i what i like about um about this show is multiple layers so you can get into like narratives in the black experience and also you get into the process and the materials of uh the printmaking process so you get into the intricacies of printmaking because a lot of times when you see a print the the finished image 
you don't see all that goes into it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, no, nah, that's, that's so true. And that, so, I think that's especially true of printmaking, where it is all about the process. Like, even mm-hmm. whether you call a print a certain type of print is all about the steps that it took to make it. And it's mm-hmm. like printmaking leaves the most evidence behind. Oh, yeah. Of the creative process. Yeah. It's so, all kind of relics yeah. along the way. It's all kind of like stuff that gets discarded. You know what I'm saying? It's wood, it's copper, it's, you know, screens, uh, monoprint plates, it's, you know, collagraph plates. It's all kinds of stuff that get, mm-hmm. uh, that is considered to be part of the process mm-hmm. uh, to get to your eventual goal, which is the print. Um, right. But all this other material and ephemeral gets made, uh, happens along the way. And that kind of stuff is just as interesting, give you like a, a look into, like the artist process. So you take me, where you have like the big woodblock idea, a council of women. Um, Mm -hmm. You got to look at it to see the marks in it, right? Right. You got to look at it to see uh, when I coated it with shellac, you see the drips of shellac on the side of it. So it's not flat, flat. You know what I'm saying? Like you get a little bit of of stuff happening on the edges. The shade of the wood is turned based on when I carved what, you know what I'm saying? How deep it is. All this little stuff, the little details that, is supposed to only matter in terms of what I get when it comes off the press. But, you know, when you have it right here as an object, the object itself has its own value. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah, um, you know, multiple layers to the show, multiple perspectives. And, you know, like I shameless plug, you know, I'd encourage people to look at it twice, you know, like, <laughs> like come and see it for the narratives, but also come and see it for, you know, the printmaking process yeah. to really get an understanding of what's there. You know, we got a number of um, people on our team that are, you know, more than happy to give you a tour of the works and, you know, materials online that you can check out to get a deeper understanding of uh, printmaking. And when you were first looking at it, what was the one thing that stood out where you knew it was like, oh, we got to put this in the show. We got to put this in the show. Uh, a, just a unique moment for teaching. So, you, you know, you think about what we do here at Black Art in America Gallery. You know, we it's a place where you can buy works of art by African-American artists, but also where you can learn about works by these artists. And that education piece is a big part of what we do. And, you know, this is really a museum caliber show, which, you know, you don't often see at a lot of galleries where, you know, people are being informed to this level on what they're buying and how what they're buying fits into um, the creative process, um, you know, it fits into different narratives in the society. So it's not just a simple showing of works that's, you know, more superficial. That can be okay too, you know, if that's what, you know, if that's your thing. Yeah. <laughs> but we want to give a, another side to showing the work. So you can, you can also do like an awesome and appealing showing for collectors that's super informative. So we've had a number of, you know, different schools have come here for field trips mm. and, you know, had a museum like experience in a, in a gallery. So, you know, we, we, we pride ourselves on the, the programming and exhibitions uh, part of what we do. Yeah. But pick a piece. You got to pick a piece, man. Tell me, pick yeah. a piece that really demonstrates uh, the breadth and the complexity of printmaking that you that you think sets off the show. I would say uh, Council of Women has been by, you know, by you. Council of Women has been like a really good cornerstone to teach about the printmaking process. One, because it's a huge piece where you can yeah. really get into the carving. And you can consider the time it took to make and you can see um, what goes into the creation of a print, you know, in large scale. So if you got a group of kids that come that are coming in, they can just kind of stand around this piece. And, you know, I can explain how you had to, you know, use a steamroller for a piece that large. And, you know, now they understand how, you know, the block is inked and pressed into a fabric or pressed into into paper to make the final image. And there's so many different directions you can take to talk about it. So I would say that's that's like a a musty piece. Oh yeah. In the show. I agree. And that piece uh, when he says big, it is seven feet by four feet. It's pretty it's a, it's a very large piece. <laughs> yeah. Very large piece. I, and I really like that piece. It's one of those pieces that, you know, I do a lot of work. And every once in a while I do something and it's so automatic almost that I don't think about it. A lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's wonderful when you can when you can finish a piece and then look back at it and be like, oh, like this, this is all right. 
Like, you know, it's not not that bad. Uh, I think I felt the same way for these uh these Robert Pruitt pieces that we have here. Right. Uh is Robert Pruitt they have the plate of the lithograph and then the print beside it. I think it's fascinating because you can see how much more detail is in the plate that didn't transfer into the print. Right. And I think that's fascinating because as I look at it, I'm all, I would be wondering to myself, how can I get a little bit more of that right. like out into the edition properly? But then I'm thinking like whether they chose not to put it. Like what if they got it and then they chose not to do it? That's, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, like I, I wonder, Yeah, I wonder like what that conversation was like when when Robert looked at the prints with the printer and they were kind of going back and forth about uh, like you got a detail here, but it looks a little dark. So maybe in the print, the face might have been too dark. And so they had to take it out. Like it, that's process stuff. That's that nerdy. I want to know all the steps <laughs> of processing right. uh, that printmakers obsess over. Uh, but that part is great. Also great to have my man Rashawn Rucker in the show, Studio Noise fam, and Chloe Alexander. I think both of those are standout pieces uh, here in the show. So it's always, you know, it's a lot of work here. And it's great to see. It's great to see monoprint represented. It's great to see screen printing. It's great to see um, letterpress. It's great to see like collage, the wood blocks, like all of it. I think it's a whole experience uh, that people need to, they need to come out and check it out again, like you said. And as we prepare for the fair, let's talk about the print fair component a little bit. Because as we were putting it together, uh, me, you, and Najee were sitting around and we thought like, yo, this would be a great time to roll out a print fair here. Uh, tell us about that a little bit. So the print fair, you know, happening August 11th and 12th. So August 11th will be a benefit for the foundation with the percentage of sales going towards the community work that we do. And, you know, August 12th, we're going to have a number of different printmakers. So Jamal Barber is going to be here yeah. and they're going to set up and they're going to have, you know, some unframed prints available, you know, that people can, you know, look through, purchase and, um, you know, be a part of the uh, the, the the black art community. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, and, you know, collect some more work and really, really get to talk to artists, to printmakers about uh, their process and, you know, be engaged. Yeah, and talk to the printers. God, I know we got Curly Holton scheduled to be here. Um, so yeah, so Cur- so Curly's um participating, you know, by um including some prints that he's um that he's worked on. Yeah, and Curly is a great master printer. He uh, was master printer for David Driscoll for a long time. Ran the Experimental Printmaker Institute out of Lafayette College. Um, tremendous printmaker, very knowledgeable brother, very cool brother too. It's a, it's a cool brother right there, man. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Curly. Got to get him on the show too. Uh, and uh, Jennifer Matt Watkins gonna gonna be here doing some stuff, and so a lot of other people will be represented. And uh, people can submit work for that show. They can email you. Yes, they can email me. So <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna get all the emails. So just Farron F A R O N at blackartinamerica.com if you want to uh, make a submission for the print fair. Yeah, and, and, and come on out because I think um, you describe a little bit of what what is about. But to me. Uh, print making is its, it's its own little world, right? And like just in right. terms of fine art, the people that love prints love prints, and they can get into all the little stuff. Like I only collect etchings, I only collect such and such. You know, I I like the prints and the material. Like there's so many different ways to do it, but I love print fairs because you do get to get a large variety of prints, and it's not not so much that I emphasize the affordability of it, but I, I emphasize the option of it, right? Is that if you have uh, probably a painting that I do, I'll speak for myself, that will, a painting that I do, it's only one of them. It's probably took me a long time. Like it's gotta have a price uh, that justifies the amount of work and effort that went into it. Uh, there's a amount of work and effort that goes into making prints and doing woodcuts, carving, you know, a seven foot wood block and all this other stuff, but there's more than one of them. So each right. print doesn't have to bear the cost of, of the work that went into it. Like you spread it out. Mm-hmm. And so it might be uh, me. I keep my additions low. Maybe I'll go to 10 or 14. Artists can go between 50, maybe 100. You can get um, as many of these as you want to. But it's a, a way for you to disseminate your artwork through the community. So you think of all the artists that, are, that you classically think of from Romare Bearden to Jacob Lawrence. Um, uh, Delita Martin does it like all kinds of people do it where you have these additions that are supposed to be more 
affordable for people. They're not as high priced. They still the same quality of work. And to me, you ask me because I love printmaking. Right. But there's even more work involved in it because of the, how strict the, the balance of the process is. But you work within it and you make your own little thing that comes up. And it's fascinating. So you can have a whole collection of just prints like in your house. Original fine art prints. Uh, no, it's not going to be a G-Clay, like a copy of an original or something like that. No scans. Like every piece is unique. Every piece has its own process. And if you get into the details of it, there's a lot to enjoy for me to, uh, just to see the prints and all the different ways that people use it. Like even here, like, there's, you know, it's one, two, three, like six, seven different woodcut artists. And they all look different. Right? right. All of them. All of them are different. All of them are focusing on different parts of the process. All of them focus on different imagery. They use different size tools. Like it's so much different inks, different papers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's all kinds of different ways uh, for you to embrace and enjoy the medium. And so I think the print fair is going to be real exciting to be able to showcase it. There's not a lot of places that showcase just black printmakers, as you see. But Black Art America is definitely going to be the place to do it. Um, and we have a print here. And I, I thought your take on this print was very interesting. We talk about Richard Mayhew. And his work and how you yeah. did a little bit of writing. It was an article or something that you wrote about the context for Mayhew and his explorations. Tell me about that, because I thought it was very interesting. So I wrote a I wrote an article. Well, I wrote an essay about uh, Richard Mayhew's work for a gallery in New York uh, that I partnered with. And, you know, I really took a deep dive into his concept of the mindscape and painting landscapes from his insight as opposed to just doing a study of nature. And it really got me to thinking of how subconscious a landscape painting can be. Mm. So when you look at, um, you know, painters like Thomas Cole, who's known as like the father of the Hudson River School, the earliest, um, you know, landscape painting school in the country. And landscape painting is also considered to be America's earliest art form. You can really see um, a different story being told than the story that's being told in Richard Mayhew's work. So you might have like, you know, like the little house on the prairie that's, you know, with a storm coming in. Right. So it's, it's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, about being on a new land in a new environment. And a and sense of danger. A sense of danger. Yeah. You know, within those landscapes. But you look at a Richard Mayhew is these deep colors. That in 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 really thinking about Mayhew's work in the early um you look at his paintings from the early 1960s and before then he really got into heavy into like the tonalist tradition he was inspired by a painter named George Ennis which which um the tonalist tradition is when painters will, when landscape painters will use really dark shadows to communicate emotion and so Richard Mayhew being in that in the early 60s. His paintings went really dark mm. and you really think about the the life of, you know, life experience of a black person in America in the early 60s. It's a dark time. A lot of things, you know, yeah. unfavorable things were going on um, towards the community. And, you know, that can be seen in his art. You know, that can be seen in the paintings and how much shadow is in there, um, how many evening tones are in the work. And then around like 1964, 65, some of those colors we know him for using now like the bright purples and blues and reds they started to kind of break through and you know my so my um, speculation is that you know what happened around 64 65 you got the voters rights act you got the civil rights act you got you know a bit of relief on the political front mm -hmm. so you know that resonates in the work you know as artists tend to connect with what's going on in the world around them and, you know, that's like my timeline of Richard Mayhew's work. I'm not going to give away the whole essay because I want you to, <laughs> to look for it. But I got to um, go find it. Yeah, where, can they, where can they see it? Um, it's in partnership with a gallery called Venus Over Manhattan. So it'll be put out as a as a printed catalog. Nice. So, you know, yeah. keep an eye out for it. Yeah, keep an eye out for that. Because I think that's brilliant because it is. We artists think they're doing something in a bubble. We always think like, no, I'm doing this like, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I hate when artists say this, but <laughs> when they say, I'm not looking at nobody's work, I'm not studying yeah. nobody's work, I don't want to 
Nobody else to like, influence yeah, what I'm doing. It, you walk by. <laughs> you walk by. It. You saw it. You felt it. But I, I think the I use the word zeitgeist a lot, where it's just the zeitgeist of the times. Like just by watching TV, picking up conversations, whatever it is, you get that feeling of in the sick in the '60s, for instance, that sense of impending doom of the church bombings and all the stuff is happening. A man was lynched today. All of this stuff. It causes a pressure on you, whether you want it to or not. Right. And then having a little bit of breakthrough with the Voters Act being signed and all the other small uh, civil rights victories we were able to get. Like you get, do get a sense of euphoria, right. a shot of a boost of adrenaline or something that comes out of that because you have felt like you achieved. And if, depending on your preference, depending on your political affiliation, like you felt like something had changed for the better. That right. optimism leaks into everyday life. And so it's impossible for you to separate yourself from it. Unless you're just living in a bubble. Right. You know, who who lives in a bubble? Well, where are the bubbles? Yeah. <laughs> where the bubbles at? Yeah. And I would I would argue that even the bubble has a context if you really yeah. think about it. Like something happened to, to put you wherever you are. And so the life, life and the art is never devoid of context. Right. And so I think that's important. Nobody really thinks about that when they, yeah. when they talk about Mayhew. But I, I think that's fascinating. I can't wait to read it. Good job, Farron. Look at you. Yeah. Man's, good, right. man's a scholar and a gentleman. What's up with that, man? <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. And um, actually about this, uh, just in terms of like you and everything I've ever all, always known about you, you're always professional and present yourself. Like you're nice and calm, collected. You're always... I uh, got the words. You you study what you're doing. You're never going out making yourself look like a fool. <laughs> tell me, tell me about that though. About how uh, this kind of work ethic that you have and the approach to how you are doing your business and presenting yourself, how that uh, is effective for somebody like you in the job that you have. Uh, I I believe in um. I don't know. I, I believe in doing things right. You know. Yeah. <laughs> like like like. Growing up, I wasn't allowed to like leave the house looking a certain way. So I, <laughs> I can just kind of hear my mother's and my grandmother's voice, my father's voice in the back of my head. Yeah. Like, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you know, so yeah. I like I like have to iron. I have to. I don't know. I just got to got to come correct. And I just feel comfortable like this. You know? Yeah. I love yeah. it, man. I love it. I think that that's makes you who you are. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm sitting here in shorts. You can yeah. hear with a nice jacket on. That's all right. You make me feel underdressed every time I show up around you. Oh man, that's not the intent. But <laughs> no, no, but, I, but I like it. No, it's a, it's a certain um, way that you approach um, what you do that I think carries over in the work that you do too, and the way that you talk about it. And you are not officially uh, with the degrees and all this other stuff behind you. But I would put you up against anybody else, like on that level, that would. Uh, be presenting yourself or curating work or something like that, you're on par with them. You know what I'm saying? In that terms. And I think that's because of your attitude and your approach a little bit. Man, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's my man, yo. That's my man. So as we as we finish up here, man, um, anything else you want to say about the about the bio and the five day foundation and stuff like that? Uh, you know, um, you know, Look for us on uh on Patreon. We're always, you know, happy to get new supporters and, you know, we'll keep you updated with what we're working on and, you know, students that are coming into the space and their progress and growth. And, you know, and also, you know, the print fair coming up. It's a it's an event that we're really proud of, how it's shaping up. It's gonna be some really great works available. Carrie James Marshall, Robert Pruitt, Jamal Barber, uh, Jerisha Graham, uh, a, a number of, you know, Great works by great artists, you know, that you'll have access to at, you know, a reasonable, reasonable uh, price point. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Absolutely. Come That's... and check us out. And and if you get something on Friday the 11th, you know, a percentage goes towards a good cause. So That's the something. And so is there anything on the horizon or any ideas uh, that you want to do like here in terms of programs or exhibitions or anything like that? Hmm. Like a wish list. If I, if you had like, oh man, they, you know, I broke through. I got this amazing grant. They they dumped as much money as I possibly need on me. Like, what would their program look like? I would say, um, really, a focus on creative economy. So, 
say like I don't want to give all my ideas away. Yeah, don't give but, it all away. But yeah. I would say I would say um residencies with a focus on say even professional skills development. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of like a, a fellowship, but more on the side of a residency and inspiring people and giving them, you know, new and creative ways to do a job that they like. to do. So, you know, we're thinking about art professionals. We're thinking about writers. We're thinking about artists and how all of these people play a part in keeping this thing we call the art world going. I love it, man. I love it. And and before we get out here, speaking of keeping the world going. Uh, we're talking to you, looking at and hearing two black fathers here on the podcast. Fern recently had a beautiful baby boy uh, come up, man. Tell me about the baby boy, man. Oh, yeah. I want it. I don't care what y'all say about this. I I think this is important, <laughs> important so, information. Bahari, he's a one year old, just you know, walking and talking. He's an artist too. You yeah. Know? You know, recently he was he was crying and he showed me. He pointed at something. He stopped crying and he pointed at something over the couch. He taken an ink pen and made a thing, <laughs> something abstract. And, um, you know, so, you know, me and his mom, we got him a coloring book and, you know, he took the crayon and he wanted to go back into it. Yeah. And make it a, you know, multimedia <laughs> piece. So, so, you know, I, you know, I'm raising an artist. I'm not like forcing it. He's just kind of into him, it. Yeah, himself. Let him go. So yeah. I just let him, you know, if that's what he wants to do. Then that's, that's cool with me. That's what's up, man. How did how did how did it hit you when you first got the baby? Uh, how did it hit me? Um, I was excited, you know, and I'm I'm having a lot of fun in fatherhood. Not to say, oh, I wish I would have done this sooner, <laughs> but right, I, yeah. I just I know did it feeling. at the right time. Yeah, you I know, know the it's, feeling. It's great, you know. His mom is great, and yeah, we're we're raising a, a beautiful, beautiful baby boy. That's what's up, man. Yeah, you know, you know, he made the man happy because he bring him out to art events. Yeah. <laughs> you see him like pop up here once in a while. Beautiful boy, man. So, yeah, Congratulations. We got, on we got the art baby, so you'll see him at different. <laughs> you might see him at, at your show. That's what's know, up, man. Atlanta. I love it, man. I love it. I love to see like people that uh, inner inner fatherhood, inner parenthood. Period. Like anybody that that has kids, you can see uh, the change uh, that happens in people, and it's not. Not like a dramatic change, like, oh, now they start dressing bummy and, you know, they get fat and shit like that. Like, not, nothing like that. <laughs> but, like, just, I don't know. It's, it's a level of engagement and excitement that happens. And, you know, I don't know. I love it because it always makes me think of my kids and uh, the moments. My kids are, uh, you know, in high school and middle school now. Like, it's been a long time from one year old. But, I don't know, flashing back to eating cereal with my, my girl on her little Elmo table that she had. Me bending over, <laughs> crouched out eating cereal with her, like doing stuff like that. Like it's a it's a beautiful thing, man. When uh, when that kind of stuff happens, man, keep these black legacies going. And if he's an artist, that's even better. Yeah, you know, I love it, man. That's what's up, man. Fan manual. Thanks for coming on the show, bro. Like we have to bring you back and have more uh, candid conversations that we be having about art topics. And I think it's always fun to have Farron on. And since he's here now all the time, so, you know, yeah, it, yeah it might might Let's pop in a few extra. Uh, uh, special episodes featuring Farron with us just discussing whatever topics pop up because I'm sure it's a lot more stuff that's happening that I would love to talk about and I just need <laughs> just need the right context because I don't randomly want to throw in like a lot of my thoughts on like AI and like so much so many other things like you know the copyright thing uh, with the Andy Warhol and the Prince mm-hmm. uh, so so many like little things that I would want to like discuss. So I got my man Farron with me. Y'all be seeing him a little bit more on the podcast. Maybe some short episodes with me and Farron talking special stuff. If you got any suggestions or topics you want us to discover, go ahead and send them to me at studionoisepodcast at gmail.com. And Farron, tell them where they can find you before we get out of here. Um, you can find me on, on Instagram. So you can follow the Black Art in America Foundation at Baia, B-A-I-A underscore foundation. Or my, my personal Instagram is always open. So it's just Farron Manual at my name. I kept it simple. There you go. Um, you know, or just follow uh, Black Art in America and you you can um, see more of what we're doing. And also, um, you know, again, we're always looking for patrons and supporters. Um, look us up on uh, on Patreon to make a tax deductible donation. That's what's up. The man is director. You can see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <just slip> that. <laughs>
And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Fan Manuel. Good luck on this new journey he's on. Director of Bio Foundation is gonna be wonderful. Next week, we'll have somebody else on the show <laughs> that you wanna hear from. All that good stuff, that good art talk right here. And all my artists out there, you don't know where the road is gonna take you. Don't even try to guess. Just keep making that noise. And it's gonna happen for you. You're gonna make work, you're gonna do something, baby. You're gonna be an artist. That's what we love to hear right here. It's the noise, your boy Jay Barber. I'll see y'all next week. Peace. Thank you for listening to the Studio Noise Podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast. <laughs>